This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 183 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, as you can see by the title, today I am joined by fellow podcaster and official Northeastern correspondent Steve a.k.a. S. Halley, a.k.a. Sholey. Steve, you're a regular on the show. The listeners know you, so we're going to skip the formalities here. But I referred to you as a fellow podcaster there, which is something I guess I haven't officially been able to say before. This past week, though, you guest-hosted the Pact of the Future podcast. I thought you and Hugo had a great conversation. So, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that experience and your thoughts on that after the fact. Absolutely. What's up, everyone? Uh, good to be back with you, Kyle. This is always an entertaining uh, conversation for me. Yeah, so I was, um, I guess, guest host for the Pack to the Future podcast, these most recent um, episodes. So it's the end of August here, and I've, I've shared it a few times. Uh, myself, you, and a couple of others are in a group chat with the guys from Pack to the Future. And Hugo and I had been joking around about how I would like to see Hugo have a, his own podcast, something along the lines of the Peter Griffin grinds what grinds my gears with my <laughs> hobby. Um, guys ended up having to travel a little bit, so Chad reached out to Hugo and I privately, and you know, no pressure, didn't say you have to do it, but just offered, hey, you guys, we have an open slot. We're gonna do sort of a hodgepodge type episode would you guys be willing to do a 20 minute spot and we you know jumped on it we kind of clarified the directions as far as what audio type audio they needed um having been on here with you is definitely helpful I, I sort of took the lead a little bit and put together an agenda came up with three sort of topics um and we ended up taking over basically the whole episode so hugo and i um hugo's a buddy of ours at um what's at nebrolian underscore pc mainly football collector, but he collects uh, basketball as well. Myself, we kind of got on there to sort of, I thought we just sort of talked shop a little bit, just kind of what we're up to in the hobby and just gave uh, the Pack to the Future fans just something different to listen to and gave the guys a a break. And what I thought of it is exactly what I've said to you. I mean, I, I don't, I don't underestimate how much effort, you know, content creators have to put in to make something happen every single week. And I was happy to give what I consider some hobby friends a week off. And it also reminded me that it's not something you call me a podcaster. I will not be a podcaster. It's, <laughs> I don't have the time and energy to come up with unique, entertaining content every single week, edit it. I didn't have to do any of the editing. We just download the the audio and sent it off to the guys and they edited it all. So um, it was fun. It was an honor to do, but 
not something that I could see myself doing on a regular basis just because of the time commitment. But the feedback's been great. I think people that listen to it have sent some very nice, you know, remarks my way. So it was, it was a lot of fun to do. Well, I will say, um, you sounded like a very natural host. So, uh, I, I thought everything turned out really well and, and everyone at home, once again, I want to remind you or, or encourage you to tune into that if you haven't already. And you know what, if you have, maybe you want to listen to it a second time, be my guest. Okay. Um, now you and I have not chatted on air for about three months now, and uh, I didn't realize it had been that long. And that's a long time in the hobby, even if things are as uh, flat as people say they are. I'm especially interested in hearing about your trip to the national. I can't believe we haven't talked about this yet. Um, and then you know I didn't go. We didn't get a meet in person. That still hasn't happened. Uh, but let's talk about your national experience here. Was this your first national, or had you yeah, been well- before? No, this is my first national for sure. Yep. Okay. So uh, go ahead and give a, you know, you don't have to give us every little detail, but go ahead and give us a summary. Uh, was it everything you thought it would be and more? Yeah. So um, I've talked in your episode, on your show before, Kyle, about, you know, that I have been able to connect with some local collectors and become real life friends with them. You know, we've met up with our kids, we've gone to games, Hall of Fame inductions, et cetera. Um, so I traveled down with those guys. We actually rented a house in i don't remember the name of the town doesn't matter but it was over if you've been to atlantic city it was over the bridge so we weren't in atlantic city we're kind of in a suburb about 15 uh, minutes out drive outside of atlantic city Um, and that was awesome because i would say as many deals if not more happen at the house each night uh ordering pizza getting back to the house exhausted and every night just the dining room table never had food on just had cards on it and we were wheeling dealing trading um, one of our friends is kind of does some part-time work for, for an LCS up here in the Boston area. Shout out to Hall of Fame Lemonster. Um, so the owner actually came down for a day. He was coming down to pick up some inventory. We let him stay with us for free. He bought a few, brought down a few boxes that, you know, we got a very good price on. We were able to do some group break and just for fun. Like we weren't, there was no money into it, but you know, we all threw in like 35 bucks and ripped a box of cards together. So that, like stuff like that was a lot of fun. Uh, so socially, it was a great time. Um, you know, whatever it is about Atlantic City, I mean, was it a great place? No, but I, I think one thing that was really, really helpful was we all had the VIP package. So I know you had card stocks on a few episodes ago, and he talked about the parking and stuff. Uh, with the VIP package, we had access to the VIP lounge, uh, so we were able to drive in, get there about half an hour, forty-five minutes before the exhibition halls open, and we just went parked easily got parking every day and then we we're able to just kind of go hang out in the vip lounge you know have a little breakfast talk cards talk plans for the day um and i was with a group of guys the whole time so that was always great we didn't always work the show floor together but we stayed together and had we we're able to kind of come up with ideas and approaches to the show um was it what i expected i didn't really have a lot of expectations going in. i knew it was a massive card show uh, I'll be completely open. I avoided all of the corporate side of it. I don't, mm-hmm. other than walking through just because the carpet was more comfortable, I didn't visit any of the corporate booths. Um, and that took up a lot, probably 15 to 20% of the show floor was corporate booths. Um, and the rest was all display tables and, and vendors set up. And um, got there Thursday late. I had to work on Thursday. So I drove down. So I got to the show for only about two hours. Met up with my friends. They had. Uh, my buddy Adam had seen some 57 tops and took me right to those and started the day off picking up some vintage cards, which was my focus. 
went the second day and sort of did I did a up and down just picture walking you know up each aisle down each aisle looking at only showcases I didn't dig uh, so Friday was all showcases and then Saturday was do the exact same thing but but dig um, so I didn't I found it awesome it was great there was inventory everywhere um, I didn't find it overwhelming I, I, I don't know I, I guess I didn't have expectations so I wasn't overwhelmed by it I was somewhat disappointed by the inventory but not not judging I mean I I knew a few of the dealers so I know what it costs to get a booth if I had a booth I'm probably bring it all exquisite flawless and tops dynasty and maybe not a ton of my five to ten dollar cards just because the square footage of each booth is so valuable um, but it was a ton of fun it was exhausting um, and just really overall a great experience but more like I said more socially than, than for the cards they did make some great deals I was able to sell sell some cards to fund the entire week um, made some great trades uh, and picked up some some big cards for my PC so it was a, it was a really good time well, good. And um, we'll talk about our 57 sets in a little bit here, but I think you even, did you get a Slick Leonard there? A Slick Leonard rookie? I did. Yep. We got a Slick. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. I know you'd been looking for one of those for a while. Uh, now, even though that show was held in the Northeast, I wouldn't necessarily use that as, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a hobby barometer for the region. Um, you have, however, gone to at least one other show in the Boston area since have things flattened out in the Northeast, or how would you describe the hobby in that area right now? Um, it's kind of going in waves. I think what you would expect, right? Like, so there is a show right near me, um, 15 minutes, right outside Boston. And that show happens once or twice a month, and then that, that same promoter has a system, sister show north of Boston. Uh, over the, the dregs of the summer, you know, dog days of summer, as they say, that show was kind of slow, it was tough wheeling and dealing. When I went most recently, I wasn't set up this time. I just went as as a, a consumer. I mean, the place was packed. The inventory seemed to have turned over. Um, I think definitely at least the local shows have had a little bit of a refresh since the National. I think especially with season starting to come around. We're in NFL preseason time. Baseball is getting ready for playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, definitely very fresh there where – Going into another round of some of the bigger shows in the area, uh, I, I think things are pretty healthy, but but been overall pretty stable for the last year or two. There's a few, you know, newer. I'm gonna sound like such an old guy here, but like hipper mm -hmm. shops opening up in the area. Um, there's been larger shows at places like Fenway Park, Gillette Stadium is um, gonna be hosting one soon. Um, so overall, definitely more active and more diverse of a scene than say like five years ago. Uh, but definitely at the same time, like you said, has has leveled out. There's not you can't go to a show and put a bunch of ultra modern slab stuff in a in a case and expect to flip a ton of it. You have to have a diverse range of rookies, autos, vets, ninety stuff, patches, etc. And those guys that have the the diverse uh, inventory are doing really well right now. So it's it's a good it's a good it's a good healthy hobby up here. And this is where we're supposed to say the healthy the hobby's alive and the yell woos and the camera and everything, right? And, and strip our shirts off and all that fun stuff. Um, now, you have a knack, it seems like, for finding the flawless patches at these shows. Uh, we're kind of both into those, so, you know, that appeals to me. Um, not everyone has the opportunity to get to a bunch of shows, though, so I'm trying to utilize this show to spread the word on some things that people are looking for. And that's our segue for today's installment of Collector Classifieds. 
Hi everyone, my name is Alan. I am at Cards on Instagram. I'm a Phoenix Suns team collector. I love to chase jersey-numbered cards of Suns players. My big project right now is Chris Paul. I'm trying to collect a jersey-numbered card depicting Chris Paul in each different uniform style that he's ever played in, and there are quite a few. The hardest thing for me to find are Team USA uniforms and all-star uniforms. So 12 different all-star uniforms and Team USA, the jersey number would be 13 or perhaps 10. So I'd appreciate it if you'd reach out to me on Instagram at Cards. Thanks. So I have to admit here, you know, your PC guy plays on the Suns and I featured a Suns collector this week. That was not intentional. And actually, I ended up messaging you before we recorded uh, just to make sure there wasn't any sort of, uh, you know, he wasn't your Crowder nemesis or anything. Um, so anyway, he's looking for, Alan is looking for various jersey numbered cards uh, of players in different uniforms. I guess you were kind of lucky because Paul Pierce was always 34. Crowder's had a couple different numbers, but can you weigh in on your experiences in chasing jersey numbered stuff? Yeah, um, it, it goes back and forth, right? Like some people do look at jersey numbered stuff as a premium and, and they'll highlight that. So it can be easy. Um, you'll see, a, and I'll use Alan's focus right now, Chris Paul. They'll they'll highlight Chris Paul CP3 jersey numbered 3 out of 10. Um, and those will pop up in the heading and you can Google search for them. I get a lot more enjoyment and I believe it was Alan I was talking with recently about this. Um, could have been someone else, but just I like digging through them. So there, some of the the sites you buy on, they like Com C, as I know we'll talk about later. You they can, they have no way to highlight some of those jersey numbers. So you have to go through and flip over every card or look at every scan. Um, and that's it's it just adds to a sense of the digging. Like Crowder's ninety nine, right? So mm-hmm. I find a, a jersey numbered Crowder card I think is really cool because there's only a couple parallels. I'm sure Panini will change that, but only a couple parallels that actually have serial numbers greater than 99. Uh, so he's got very few, whereas someone like Chris Paul, he's going to have, outside of one-on-ones, he's going to have a jersey numbered card in every single parallel, which can be great because you have options, but it can also be a lot to chase. Um, but it's it's, dig- it's like anything else, right? It's digging. Even if you go to a show, some people know they'll put a price tag right below it. They'll put jersey numbered. Um, and then other ones, I've found many jersey numbered cards just flipping over the back of the card, as I know you have. And, hey, that's mm-hmm. jersey numbered. I'll actually pick that up, right? And then I'll be the one to sell it with the, the heading or something. So it's it's another chase that, that people have, and, and I enjoy it. Yeah, I kind of I kind of have a rule. As long as it's reasonable, I will grab any jersey numbered card that I see at a show. Um, and and like one, I picked up a Nene recently out of a dollar box uh, number. I think it was thirty one out of ninety nine. I put it on Com C and it went for like fifteen dollars instantly. So there huh. is um, certainly a market for that out there. And um, you know, as team collectors, I know we're into that as well. So good luck, Alan. Let's see maybe if we can help you chase down some of these CP threes. All right, before we continue today's conversation, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. 
What's up, everyone? This is Steve, the Crowder Guy from Kyle's Show, and you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so regular listeners of the show know that mail days are a major part of the show's format. In fact, last week I spent you know the entire main segment talking about recent mail. Since I've got you on here with me, I'd love to hear about some of your recent mail, too. I'm going to have you go first because there's a couple follow-up topics that relate to my mail days. You're well aware of them because I made you even watch a video. Um, so if you don't mind, though, tell us about a couple things that you've got in recently. Yeah, so I'll be I'll be concise here. Um, I haven't been picking up as much stuff recently. One of the ones I'm not even going to go into detail here because it's it's been a theme, but it's <laughs> it's not basketball related. I've been very into MLB authenticated patches, which 13 seconds on it is MLB will provide a serial number that you can look up when the patch, you know, the exact source material for the past patch, when it was worn, who it was worn by, and then you can search the game. So I've gotten a few of those in recently. You can check my page, um, you know, not the place or time to talk about those as much. And then the other one that I've gotten recently, just to kind of tie in the Crowder stuff, uh, he's only been in Optic once, and I love Optic. I would I would take Optic over Select and Prism any day. And I was able to, I, I can't say I did anything other than just hit a bin on eBay when it popped up, but did get the um, Nebula 101 from Optic Choice. So it's the that year they had, I think it's 1920. I should know. Um, it's We'll say 1920. I believe they had four 101s that year. So I now have two of the four, which are the really 101s of this four 101s. It is what it is. But I'm really excited to have that. It's, it's one of my favorite parallels. Um, and I won't. I won't say what happened, but the the packaging was a little um, concerning. And so I very nicely messaged the guy. In the end, the card came safely. I didn't care, but I very nicely messaged him being like, hey, just a heads up. You might want to watch you know, these few details when you package something. He was a newer seller, I think only 20 feet back. Um, and he was very apologetic and actually gave me unexpectedly a 20% refund. So I ended up getting the card for a very nice price and had a, had a good conversation with the guy at the same time. So... Um, that's my my big real day mail day recently. So let's let's hear from you, Kyle. What have you been picking up? <laughs> okay, so um, this was a bit of a different week for me. I got four cards in the mail, all of them slabbed, which is not um, not usual for me at all. And um, the first two I want to talk about both came from one of our favorite sellers, uh, Probstein. I, I say that facetiously, and actually there are some, like, he ships, like, insanely fast, so I will say that. I know, you know, my Probstein stuff is always going to show up quick, uh, but that package contained 2017-2018 Prism Gold rookies of uh, Pacers TJ Leaf and EK Anabogu, and both of them were PSA 9s, and I actually have an Anabogu in a, a PSA 10 already. The grade doesn't mean a lot to me, but it was cheap, and I don't really like to crack 10s out, so I had always kept it that way. Um, but as you know, and as a lot of the listeners know, I have a gold binder. So I figured, you know, these nines would probably be much better in the gold binder. Uh, Steve, we've talked about my slab cracking before. I haven't done many of them. They haven't been pretty. And, um, you seem to be a bit of an expert on this now. I I think I've seen you crack just about every brand of slab, even HGA. You did an HGA one this past week. So, I um, had not done a PSA slab before, and I practiced with a cheap Juan Gonzalez PSA card. I think it was like a 1990 Fleer Ultra or something like that. I don't know. It was a baseball card. I got that thing out in like 15 or 20 seconds, so I had a lot of confidence as I was going into 
these two prism golds and and you know of course I'm going to record it right because I'm trying to make content for YouTube as well um I would say it did I'll I'll let you give your commentary I will say ahead of time though I don't feel like it went as smoothly as the Juan Gonzalez of course because I was recording right but I sent you the video ahead of time um, and I want you to talk me through your, your thoughts as you're watching this video here. Um, and maybe if I made any progress. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely made significant progress. So last time I graded you, maybe I gave you a 4 out of 10. Uh, you, you had a screwdriver fly straight across the surface of a card. So I think I gave you 4 out of 10. <laughs> There's uh, nowhere to go line. but up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you passed this test, right? We're both educators. So I'll give you an 80 on this exam. Okay. Uh, to paint okay. the pictures for the listeners because this is audio format. Uh, when you guys watch the YouTube, you will quickly recognize, and I've never met Kyle in person, I've never been to his house, there's no way he's a handyman, um, because his <laughs> tools consist of a rusty pair of snips that must have come you know, from Indiana with him, they got to be so old, Probably. and a screwdriver that we've all seen, the translucent blue handle screwdriver with the red paint and the finger grips from Sears or Walmart, you know, they're everywhere. Um I think you did. You, you, you clipped the corners, and I liked that once you did get the screwdriver into the slab, you didn't pry up, you rotated. Uh, but, you know, that's that's the positive. You, I can give you kudos all day, but what I'm going to knock you for is two things. One, and I said it to you before you, you cracked these things, guys, he, it's going to be an 8-inch long screwdriver, and Kyle, you insist on holding it by the handle. You're not trying to reach down to the block of an engine to turn a screw. You don't need all 8 inches. If you would just choke up on the head of it, because even though you didn't hit the cart, I'm shocked you didn't cut your hand open. That screwdriver was slipping and sliding. If you could just hold the head of the screwdriver and work it into the crevice and then slide it down, you would have been a lot safer. And the other thing I think you didn't, you got to work on is you were, leave the slab on the table, right? You don't need to lift it up because then you're moving the slab, you're flopping the slab around in your left hand, you're flopping the screwdriver around in your right hand. And you've just got all kinds of angles and movement going. It just makes it not steady. Um, but in the end, you took your time. You stayed away from the card. Um, and you made sure to, you know, rotate it and pry the card apart as opposed to try and crack it apart. And once you did free everything, you were able to just open up like a clamshell. So you got the cards out safe. That second one, I think you might maybe touch the screwdriver to the, to the top of the card there. You definitely slid a little low. But overall, the cards are safe, and, and they look great in the binder. So, uh, like I said, you, you passed this test this time around. I'm just more shocked you didn't stab yourself than anything else. Uh, yeah, so now I understand what you're... I, I guess it didn't click in my mind, but I, I do recall now uh, trying to get the screwdriver into the slab and it slipping off of the cut portion um, yeah. where I could have had another, as you mentioned, another bad accident. Um, and I'm sure yeah, if anyone wants to see it, it will be on YouTube by the time this airs and, you know, your comments will blend in perfectly with the rest of the internet world. That's not always very kind to me. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I will deal with that accordingly. But, um, now we talked about this earlier. One thing I, I will say, I I've heard people mention that older PSA slabs, um, are maybe the, the plastic quality is not the same, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they become brittle over time. Something happens. Um, I think that one Gonzalez that I cracked was a really old slab. And, and I, I kid you not that thing, I got that open in like 20 seconds and it was a very satisfying, that, that big crack, when you take the front off, when you just peel it off, 
that was a, a very satisfying sound and feeling that I didn't expect out of this. So I don't know if you feel the same way about that. Um, much better experience than the BGS labs, though. I, I got to where I don't like those. Yeah, you, you did what you did well, and it's definitely satisfying. And, and I'll say because I, I record probably fifty percent of mine. It's also really hard to record and keep the card in the frame and reaching around the phone and stuff. So you had a few disadvantages that you know the cost of art definitely hurt your your form a little bit on this one. But it was worth it. It's a good video. All right. Well, I appreciate that, and and um, you know maybe someday I'll do another one. Um, I don't know. I don't buy a lot of slabbed cards, but. I do have an Aaron Holiday RPA in a uh, CSG slab, and I I haven't decided what I want to do with that, but I think that one might be coming out at some point. Okay, um, two cards that I received, though, that I will not be cracking out are part of the 1957-58 Topps SGC set that I'm building. I got uh, an SGC for Kenny Sears for $23 shipped, which I was thrilled about that. That would be the price of me subbing my raw copy. Um, and then I got an SGC two Dick Schnitker uh, for I don't know like thirty six dollars shipped. So um, if you combine those with the Ed Fleming that I got off of Jay Hardy Cards from ComC this week, once again thank you Jay Hardy Cards. I think that brings me to twelve out of eighty from the set with the new SGC labels. You mentioned earlier that you got your Slick Leonard at the National. You're doing a PSA set. What does your progress on the set look like so far? I know you're further than I am. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm getting there, dude. I am. Uh, so yeah, so I'm going for PSA five or higher. So PSA no qualifiers or PSA six with off center qualifiers are, are allowed. In, in my that's how I justified it. I don't know why. Uh, I was able to grab four at the national. Three of those I was able to bundle, and then the slick was actually, I believe, the slick I got by itself that very first day. I think that's the one Adam took me over to. Um, I've picked up. I think two since the national, and I'm currently it's an 80 card set. Um, I currently have in my possession 73 out of 80, so I have seven cards to go. A um, couple of them being slightly more expensive ones that I will hope pop up sooner than later, and then a couple just very common guys that aren't worth a ton. Um, and some of those can be some of the toughest ones to land because people aren't putting them up for auction. You're just gonna wait till they come up for a buy it now or find them hidden in a show or something, but. I originally was hoping to be done by December 2023, and I made such good progress at the show, and then, like I said, I got a few good deals recently, that I'm aiming to be done hopefully by the end of February 2023, if I can uh, find the last few I need at reasonable prices. I'm going to take a stab at one of them that I think you need. Um, do you need a Bob Pettit? Nope. You have that. Okay, good. So you have that. Uh, so that's been one of the more expensive ones that I've seen, which I, you know, I know he was one of the best, you know, the bigger stars of the fifties, but that card was quadruple printed. So that one always kind of baffles me how, uh, the price is sustained despite all that. But, um, all right. So I'll have to look at your list someday to see who you need. Um, I'm hoping myself that SGC does some sort of a promo again, cause I have a lot of the cards raw. And it would just be cheaper for me just to send them in instead of buying um, additional copies. But, you know, we'll I'll do whatever is more reasonable. Okay, um, I mentioned ComC there just a moment ago because I did buy one from there this past week. I'm going to stop for a moment to remind everyone that this show is brought to you in part by Check Out My Cards, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. 
With a CompC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the CompC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. And um, I know you said you avoided the corporate booths at the National, Steve. Um, I believe, though, you submitted some a batch to ComC. Did you do it in person, or was that through the mail, your recent batch? No, that was through the... That was through the mail, and probably my, honestly because I use ComC so much. My only my only regret from the national was not having the mindset to be prepared to submit there, just because it would have saved me shipping. Um, I actually submitted one about a week after I got home with some of the cards I picked up there, um, and I, I didn't even stop by their booth just because I was so busy. But I will say, out of all the promos for VIPs, and I'm not saying this just because ComC is your sponsor, they by far were the most useful. They had scratch codes. Um, and I got $5 off shipping, so I was able to get my most recent shipment sent to me for only $2. And then they gave every VIP package a $20 um, submission discount. So I, was, I, sent, I sent them another 57 cards today, and 10 of those I sent at the elite level, which is $2 a card. So I'm going to get those submitted for free. Um, and then I have another, you know, the basic 50 cent per card level, a much higher um, count than just the 10 that I sent to the elite. But... Um, yeah, I've been very active with them recently. Real, real quick, what kind of cards are you sending to them? Because I know people ask me all the time, you know, what's your dollar threshold or whatever? Hold on. We have breaking news, Kyle. I didn't tell you I was watching this, but I'm going to throw you for a little loop here. I'm watching my 2021-22 Prism Gold Jay Crowder end, and I'm waiting for my screen to refresh right now. I think I got it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I didn't well tell yeah, I didn't we've tell had you. this on my end before where I we had the live <laughs> bid here, so... Uh, I do want to pause it's, and let you win that here. Oh, I, I I put in a bid that if I didn't win, I was just gonna be like, I was just gonna say oof and just let it go. Um, I'm pretty sure I got it and got it for a decent price. My my phone's refreshing, so I won't let everyone. Oh sit yeah, there that for that. But first one, I've, yeah. first one I've seen pop up, so happy to grab it. Um, sorry about that. Anyways, what right. do I submit to Com C? Um. For the elite level, I do follow their instructions, which is any card. Yep, I want it. Nice. Good price. Um, Congrats. I, Congrats. I submit anything over $50 at the elite level if it's going to be very fluid, right? So that stuff you get sent, you get to post within two weeks. It's added to your account. So stuff that I want to sell quick, like I have a Franz Wagner on card auto. You know, it's over the $100 threshold anyways for the 50 cent limit, but it's also something that I'd rather sell sooner than later because I'm not high on front. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be a fine player. I just don't know that, you know, when the new rookie autos come out, if right. his stuff's going to be at the same and level, right? And Orlando Magic. Yes, which people forget that's a team until they go to Disney World. Um, right. So that stuff, stuff that is above the $100 level or um, – above the $50 level if I want to sell quick. And then as far as the base 50 cent level, I, I, I try to send cards that will sell minimum, ideally $3 just to make sure I'm covering shipping. But I will I will add to those. So if I'm going to send 50 cards, I want them all to be $3 to $25 at that level, obviously a few higher. But I'll if I'm going to send 50 and I'm packaging up everything anyways, I'll grab a few cards that I think are very sellable out of my dollar box. You know, even if I only sell them for a buck oh five or something, that covers that profit covers the fifty cent margins on some of my other cards. So I, I won't send a ton of one or two dollar cards, but I will if I think they're gonna be easy to sell, if there aren't any on Comp C right now, I'll add those in as sort of 
padding the package if that makes sense um that but i try sense. to make it my general threshold is three three dollars or more um to send to com all right. Well, switching gears here, uh, earlier this weekend, I asked people if they had any questions for you specifically. So I've been asking you some questions, but um, some of the listeners and some of your hobby friends and acquaintances have some questions for you as well. They were all submitted privately, so you haven't seen them yet. Um, and I'll also add they're, they're very Celtic-centered, um, which maybe that's my fault. I, I put a big, you know, lucky gif on the uh, on the. <laughs> <laughs> request did, yeah. yeah um all right now the first one is more of a general question though your new podcast buddy hugo and this was a late edition he sent this to me like an hour ago he said do you have a card you regret not buying and if so which one it should be yep. I, you know how many i'm sure you have tons of them honestly the only one that comes to that i think well there's two of them okay so there's one that both of these I think about on a regular basis, not like every day or anything, but they come up. Um, I'll start with the lower end one. So I had a Al Horford logo man that I sold, and it left me without a, a Horford uh, Celtics patch. And he's a guy I've been – I probably should talk about with you before. I've been a fan of his since college. I, I've really enjoyed his game. Was very much in support of him joining the Celtics both times he joined and the, I got selfish. There was a flawless dual patch auto that popped up mid-season of the most pre- recent season on eBay at $39.99, buy now, or $0.99 cent auction, or however they manage that, right? So I got I got selfish. I got, I got greedy, and I submitted a bid of $40, and it ended up selling for about $55, bucks and I never even checked it. So I should have just hit that bin. Had it, would have loved it, wish, still wish I had it. And then the other one is Crowder only has one game-used logo man, and it's from 2016-17 Immaculate. It's a Celtics logo man. Uh, he only has three logo men total, but only one's game-used. The other two are rookie year. And I had an opportunity to buy. I'll even say the price. I had an opportunity to buy it for 450 back in 2018-ish. That was just, it was way too high at that, that time. That was um, astronomical Logan, back then, yep. by the way, for everyone that's listening. Yep. But I, I had the money. Um, I, I called the guy's bluff. He was messaging me, hey, buddy, if you don't want it, it's good. somebody overseas wants it. It's going to Asia. And I said, what, you know, I don't, I kind of called, I thought I was calling his bluff. This was all on Facebook. Um, I offered him 300 which was hot, you know, more than it was worth, in my opinion, but I wanted it. He's like, dude, I can't turn down 450 It's yours. It, and I was like, sorry. And I woke up the next day and it was off to Asia. A few years later, that popped up on eBay from Asia, one of the major consigners over there. And it was at auction. I threw in a high auction. I, sh- I saw it right before I went to bed, you know, the, the time difference. Threw in a, a high auction. I woke up. My auction had been canceled. They relisted it for 1500 bin. Um, somebody bought it, so they must have been messaging what they thought it was worth, and the guy set up the sale for them. And it's been on an infamous King of Logo Man's um, hidden away in in uh, the Oakland area for many, many years, and I have no idea what's up with it, and that guy will not part with it. So those are my two big regrets. It's uh, hidden on, what's that site called, Weebly? A, a Weebly 404 error message. It's behind that half the yeah, time, he, right? He, yeah, he, t- he took his site down. I can't even go look at it. I mean, he had th- he had hundreds of Logan cards. It was a great site to look at. But yeah, that card's gone. 
All right. Well, um, that was kind of a bummer to start off with. Thanks, Hugo. But um, the uh, the next two <laughs> questions come from Josh, who goes by the handle Mitten State Collector. Um, no. So we'll start with his first one. He said, start one, bench one, cut one. So start, bench, or cut. Yep. It's Bob Cousy, Bill Russell, and Larry Bird. Um, I'm starting Russell, um, running with Bird, and I'm going to have to cut Cousy. Um, and that's just my fandom for those players speaking. Not not anything about balance of the team. It's just my, <laughs> not my a Not a J.J. Redick angle. No, okay. Yeah. That, that's um, a tough one. So his uh, second question, then, I, I think this one, I, I think it's tougher. We'll see what you think here. Um, what team wins more titles, Magic Johnson drafted to the Celtics or the Lakers with Larry Bird? Um, I'm going Lakers with Larry Bird. I, I think he was – both teams were built so much around each play, but early on – the roster, I'd say like the first five to six years of the Lakers, the roster wasn't built around Magic and his skill set. He was able to be as good as he was and only further the greatness of the Lakers. Whereas from his rookie year, I mean, even when he was drafted and then had to sit out for the year, and they were building that roster around Larry Bird to be part of Larry Bird. You take what he offered to a Lakers team that, could have, I think, been interchangeable, been just as great. Um, I think the Lakers would have won more, but, uh, you know, who, who knows, right? We're just, we're just projecting. But I'm not saying Bird's greater than Magic or vice versa. I think they're two of the easily the top ten players of all time. I just think roster construction and where, they, where each team was in their development, I think Bird and Lakers would have won more. Yeah, because, I mean, they brought in Parrish, and, you know, like you said, they made moves specifically – uh, for that, you know, for that era, uh, I don't know, man. I'd I'd love to see you know Magic playing one through five on on the uh, Celtics. That would be something to see here. Uh, but speaking of Celtic fives, next question comes from Owen. Although it came from his center collection handle, not card socks, but same guy. He said, "Who is the great? Who is the greatest Celtic center other than Bill Russell?" Dave Collins. Dave Collins. All right. Um, Great, uh, great Boston, or uh, who did he coach? Charlotte Hornets coach as well, too, yep. right? All right. <laughs> I hated him down there. <laughs> One more Celtic question from Blaine, a.k.a. Hail Mary SC. He asked, do the Jalen Brown trade rumors hurt his play for the upcoming season or make him just that much better trying to get out of Boston? I guess they're convinced Honestly, that he's leaving here. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I, I don't know that it impacts them. I think, I think, I think we're all idiots following Twitter. I mean, I, I think these players have conversations with their agents, with their teams, and we don't know any of the truth. And I think a lot of the NBA is just playing the media. Um, I don't know that it hurts his play or helps his play. I feel like these players, especially the superstars. They know what's going on. They have their own feelings about the team and the, the ownership well outside of what happens in Twitter. Um, and I think back to some of the interviews Kevin Durant has done about his time in OKC and his whole thing. There were no rumors that he was upset with OKC or he was planning on leaving, et cetera, et cetera. But for years, he felt like ownership should have been more trusting of the feedback and his basketball knowledge and building, building a roster. Like We never heard that on Twitter, that he wanted to help build the roster, but that was his thing. And same thing. We never heard on Twitter that Brad Stevens was going after Malcolm Brogdon, and all of a sudden he's 
trading a bunch of you know ponies for a horse in that deal. So I don't think it impacts Jalen one way or another as far as the rumors that have happened through Twitter and who says what and he said this and she said that. Um, I think his play and desire to stay in Boston is impacted by what he feels the organization is doing or not doing to support him. And I don't know that we will know that until his time for an extension comes up. Um, I do think Jalen is very much his own person. I don't love that he's, you know, with the the new team for his, you know, contract negotiations. He's with um, Kanye now, which is a little odd. Um, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's with Kanye now, which is a different take. Um, but I, I don't think what happened over the summer as far as the Kevin Durant stuff impacts that at all. I think these guys function well above the Twitterverse, if that makes sense. I Yeah, and I think um, I, I'm, I'm ready for the pendulum to swift to, um, to shift in the league here again. Looking at, you know, all the Durant stuff kind of came back and backfired on him. I, you know we thought that the owners or the governors or whatever you want to call them, the governors had too much power at one point. And now obviously the players have way too much power. So hopefully we can get out of this thing, come to a resolution um, and not have a lockout here. If if there's one thing that we learned from baseball, fix this, but don't have a lockout. Okay. Um, The last question, which also came from Blaine is a little similar to what you talked about on pack to the future. Uh, so maybe you can give part of your answer here and then people can tune into that show for the rest of it. I don't want to take from their content, but uh, Blaine said he loves your recent Brady and Red Sox pickups and wants to know more about you dipping into the baseball and football market recently. Yeah, so it's it's really just about being able to chronicle my fandom, right? Like I, I've been fortunate enough to grow up, not grow up, but Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl when I was in college my sophomore year of college and there's certain plays for the Red Sox that really highlight you know what it's like to be a fan of the team so I've been picking up stuff that represents that um, as a way of staying engaged with the hobby and diversifying my collection I, I don't like I don't like to just hide stuff away I like to move stuff around I, I like to enjoy my collection I'll sell stuff to pick up new stuff um, and turn stuff over and recently I've been really into game used stuff a couple autos that just helped me highlight my favorite years as being a fan you know I'm, I'm 40 now so i don't have the same awe for some of these players that i used to so you know the, the newer players don't don't feel the same way to me as a fan whereas following a guy like pedro or even pedroia tom brady etc they were just great memories positive memories of being a fan back when you could really dig in and young 20s early 30s you had a lot more time to be a fan so that's what that's all about it's just really chronicling my time as a sports fan in boston and recognizing the greatness that i've been able to you know enjoy while they've won multiple championships over the years Spoiled spoiled Boston fan answer there. Yes. Yeah, very well. I mean, look, you can't control what's happened, but yes, you are very spoiled. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm here hoping that Aaron Neesmith uh, can be a role player. Uh, But anyway, there are, uh, we can talk about him more later. There are probably a dozen other topics we could talk about, uh, but I know you have a life outside of cards and I want to respect your time. Steve, uh, as always, thank you for coming on the show. You know the drill here. Before I let you go, I want to give you the chance to offer any final thoughts or promote anything that you're working on right now. 
And as normal, I've been on with you so much that I don't need to give out my handles anymore. But um, like I'll say, if anybody just wants to talk cards, feel free to reach out. And as I've dabbled in it a little bit, even though I won't dabble any deeper than I have already, I, I do encourage everybody to find some way of being involved in the hobby, whether it be making content or thinking about a project they can work on that really, you know, makes them excited and enjoy the hobby and get out to shows, get out to card shops, you know, just engage at a level that you feel comfortable with. And so I'll just put out a little positive message for that to end this show. All right. Well, thanks once again, Steve. And um, he said he's not going to give his handle. Well, it's in the title, just in case you do need to reach out to him. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media as well. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.